we've noted in the book of Exodus that ultimately the question boils down to the thing that Pharaoh himself asks in chapter 5 and verse 2, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And the book of Exodus is the answer to that. Uh, The plagues are the answer to that. And ultimately all the scriptures are the answer to that is who is this God? And that we should obey him. We, we noted when we studied that chapter a while back that that was not a legitimate question on Pharaoh's part, but a question of, of rebellion. Who is this God uh, that he would tell me what to do? And so God is going to explain uh, to Pharaoh why that is the case and why he ought to obey. It is important for us to remember that this really is the question that I think every human has to grapple with is who is the Lord that you are going to obey him and to comprehend uh, an answer to that question because that would be the basis by which we would do what he says and by which we would follow him. Who is this God that I should have to listen to him? Why can't I do what I want to do? Why can't I listen to myself? Why can't I be my own God, follow my own ways and follow my own decrees? Who is this God that he should tell me what to do? And so in this section from Exodus 7 through 10, we're looking at the plagues that God then brings. And and when we study the plagues, sometimes we just kind of study the plagues and memorize the plagues and go, okay, there's 10 plagues. But there's really a lot more to it than that. And and I want you to notice that in in chapter 7, and we'll begin in verse 3, and, and we'll get a sense of what God is doing with this. Exodus chapter 7, verse 3. Here is God, and He is telling Moses about what is going to happen as this is going to unfold. Verse 3, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And what I think is important to see is this introduces the section of the plagues is is God is saying uh, this is going to be my revelation to Egypt. They are going to know who I am. Pharaoh has said, who is this Lord that I should obey him? And God's response now is, I will show him and I will show Egypt who I am. In fact, you will notice that this is frequently stated throughout this section of the plagues. In chapter 7 and verse 17, God says, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 8, verse 22, then they will know that I am the Lord. Chapter 10, verse 2, that they know that I am the Lord. What God is doing in the plagues is revealing who he is. And the reason why that's important is because if the plagues were merely about God releasing Israel from Egyptian slavery, then why not go to plague 10 and skip 1 through 9 and move this thing along? If that's going to be the deal breaker, death of the firstborn, then let's just drop that one as plague 1 and move right on. That's not God's intent. Yes, ultimately he is going to bring Israel out of captivity, but that's not the only goal. 
One of the great goals that God has in the plagues is to reveal himself. This is God's revelation. Thus the God says that you will know that I am the Lord. I am going to show myself. I am going to reveal myself to them. Since Pharaoh wants to know who this God is, that he should obey. And Egypt needs to know who this God is. And the whole world needs to know who this God is. And so when we read the plagues... We need to read these with a purpose. These plagues have a purpose as God is revealing himself. God is declaring himself. Now, we should probably have a sense of that because we know our New Testaments really well. And the New Testament tells us the exact same thing. When you get over Romans 1, verses 18 through 20, what is God saying about the wrath of God has been revealed against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness, and there's nobody without excuse. Why? Because people are to be able to see His divine nature and His eternal power and know that He is. And that's what we have in Romans 1 arguing and the very thing that God is saying here is, I'm going to show you something so that you will know who I am. I'm going to reveal myself. This is my grand revelation to Egypt. And the plagues then are a picture of that so that would happen. And what's interesting is that as you read through the plagues, you will notice that it's working. Uh, For example, when you get already to the third plague, notice what is already being described. You have the gnats that are infecting the land. Exodus 8, verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They're already going, God must be doing something here. We're only on plague three and already the magicians are saying, God is at work. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh hardened his heart and he would not listen to them as he had said. When we jump out to the seventh plague, and you'll notice that even some of the Egyptians are becoming believers. When the seventh plague comes, which is the falling of hail, Moses tells them and says, this hail is going to come and anything, anyone left outside, animals, people, they're going to be killed by it. Notice what happens. Exodus 9.20. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his servants and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Already we're seeing this is exactly what the intention of the plagues are, is to say, all right, here is who God is. I want you to understand that you need to come to know God and believe in him. And so this is going to be God's revelation. And so what is God going to reveal? What is God going to show? And what I want to show you tonight is that there are three things that the plagues repeat as the declaration by God that he says, here's what you're supposed to learn about me through these plagues that I've done to Egypt. And this is what Egypt was supposed to learn. And it's what we are supposed to learn as well from God's revelation. First thing that we see regarding God's revelation and what he is showing about who he is is that there is no one like him. One of the big things that God wants them to understand is that there you need to come to know the Lord and understand that there is no one like him. And the book of Numbers tells us this was one of the functional goals uh, of, of the plagues. Numbers 33 and verse 3 says, On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all the firstborn whom the Lord had struck down among them. 
On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. And notice what God is doing is God is saying, I am showing you that I am greater than all of your deities. Now, sometimes what we have the tendency to do is we'll look at the ten plagues and we'll try to identify, okay, well, that plague goes to that particular Egyptian god and that one goes to that particular one. And the thing is that Egypt had over 100 pagan deities. They had all kinds of deities. They didn't have just 10. They had tons and tons of them. And the goal was not for you to go, okay, well, that is a specific attack on one particular god, which certainly some of them were. But it's far more than that. The whole point of this is to show that God is over all of creation. Because the Egyptians had gods for the sun, for the water, for health, for rain, for all kinds of gods. And what God is doing through all of these plagues is showing, I rule over all of that. I rule over the sun. I rule over the water. I rule over the rain. I rule over the health. I rule over all the creatures. I rule over the land. You see that what Israel dealt with with the Canaanite gods. They'd have these bales, and they thought the bales were over these certain hills. You know, and here's God going, no, I rule over all the earth, not this one little place here. And you would even see sometimes these um, foreign nations think that the God of Israel functioned that way. That if we could just get outside of Israel, then God wouldn't have power there anymore. And God will zap them in in the Philistines and things like that. No, I'm God everywhere. And that's what is happening here to Egypt is I'm not just a God of a couple places and I'm not just a God of a couple created items. I'm a God over all things, over all the earth, over all the land, over all the sea, over all the animals, over every created thing. That is God's message through the plagues that he rules over it all and you cannot run from his presence or escape his power or his might. They kept thinking that could happen. And yet God, plague after plague after plague, is showing, no, I rule over all of these things. In fact, that becomes more specifically stated in verse 16 of chapter 9 of Exodus, where God says, "For this, he's speaking to Pharaoh, here's Moses to Pharaoh, for this purpose I've raised you up, to show you my power. These plagues are a display of God's power. To be able to show That God rules over everything, over everyone. And there is none who escape his reign or escape his power or escape his rule. This is pretty interesting because here we have some 4,000 years ago, God already destroying the idea of religious pluralism. You can just do whatever you want with God. You can worship God however you want, worship any God you like. It all doesn't matter, right? And here's God going, no, it does matter. Uh, I rule over all of it. I'm the one that's in charge. And this is what God is, is communicating. You don't have the right to live however you want to live. You don't have the ability to say you can worship God however you want. You don't have the right to say, well, all beliefs are valid and all that. No. Already, right here, very early on, a strong message to the Egyptians. There is one God, and He has power over all. And your gods that you think have power are powerless and are nothing. And everything that you're putting your hope and your trust in are completely useless before the Almighty God. 
And so this is what God is communicating over and over again to them as He reveals Himself, is that there is no one like Him. You need to come to Him and you need to know Him and you need to understand Him because God wants people to know He is Lord and the reason you need to listen to Him is because He rules over all. Which then advances His next reason that He gives. Is that God's name would be proclaimed in all the earth. First, people are to know that He is God, that He is the Lord, that He is ruler and master. Two, that you are to know that He is power over all things, over all people. He is ruler over everything. Three, He wants people to recognize that His name is to be proclaimed in all the earth. The verse that we just looked at a moment ago, Exodus 9, verse 16. Notice the rest of that. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. One of the purposes of the pledge was so that this would cause the renown of of God. In fact, listen to it later on in chapter 10 and in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. Here is God saying, I've done this so that my name would be proclaimed throughout all the earth. And I've done this so that Israel, that you yourselves would even know, and you will tell your children about this. And so that the Egyptians would tell their children about, here's what happened. Everybody is going to know about these events that that have happened and it would be passed on from generation to generation. And so God's name is to be proclaimed throughout all the earth. In fact, when you get to chapter 12 of Exodus and you have the uh, giving of the Passover command, you remember what God tells that they're supposed to do in regards to the Passover. This was going to be kept for all the generations and you need to tell your children about this event and this these plagues and how God led you out with a mighty hand. And you tell your children, you tell your children, you tell your children. There was this idea over and over again that this picture of proclaiming God's name throughout all the earth begins with telling your children about the mighty works of God. And this is what he's, he's declaring here and saying, this is what you need to tell them is that I'm showing these signs so that the children and the grandchildren will hear about the mighty works of God. And it's a useful reminder to us that if we are not teaching our children what God has done and explaining to them the mighty works of God, then we've already failed in understanding why God has displayed his wonders and why God has displayed his might. One of the reasons he has shown his power is so that we would tell our children, look at what he did. Look at all that he's done. Look at all that he's accomplished. Look at how he does those things. This is what God does for generation and generation, telling them, you teach your children, look at what I did. And you think about for how many generations they would do that very thing from the moment of of the exodus and the plagues. How generation after generation, the people of Israel would teach their children, remember Egypt. And you know by studying the prophets how they forgot 
And what a sad thing it was that the children did not know the mighty works of God and did not know all the things that God had accomplished. And it led to the downfall of the nation of Israel because of that. And so God speaks to this purpose. We teach our children about the mighty works of God, and then we tell the world about the mighty works of God. This is God's intention by the things that he has done in accomplishing these great things. Now, in laying all that out, I I can't help but ask the question. So what is ultimately the problem? Why does the world not submit to the power of God? Why do people, even including ourselves, refuse to submit to the Lord and rebel against what God says? Especially when you think about where we stand in history. We we read this and we are amazed by here are these ten amazing plagues that happen causing immense destruction upon the nation of Egypt. But then here we are in history and we're able to read about the flood of Noah that destroys the world. We're able to read about the plagues. We read about the kings and the prophets and the judgments that God brought against disobedience against all those generations. We have the cross. We have the resurrection. We have the mighty works of God just all throughout history laid out for us. So why is it? That we rebel, why is it? Does the world rebel? Why do we not listen to the voice of God? And I believe the answer is ultimately the answer that's revealed in these four chapters that you see happening in the plagues. What we're told again and again about Pharaoh is absolutely fascinating, is there is this repeated refrain as each plague comes down. There is the statement made again and again, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And friends, that's at chapter seven, verse 13. That's the very beginning. (laughs) And then you have chapters eight and nine and 10. And the statement is made over and over again. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Chapter seven, 22, eight, 15, eight, 19, eight, 32, nine, seven, nine, 34, nine, 35. And then to add on it, all the times it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, seven, three, nine, 12, 10, one, 10, 20, 10, 27, 11, 10. Here's the problem again and again. There's a hardness of heart. What's the issue? Hard hearts. That is the issue that is is before us. And what's particularly fascinating about this and why it is such a shocking statement is as you read about these plagues, you are reading about the nation nation of Egypt crumbling all around Pharaoh. And yet still he hardens his heart. Perhaps the most shocking of, of those is in chapter chapter 10 and in, in verse 7. Look at it over there, chapter 10 and verse 7. <clears throat> I love these. Here we are, we're only in the 8th plague now. I mean, we're still not at the very end yet. We're in the 8th plague. In chapter 10, verse 7, Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? What are you doing? I mean, here you have the servants and they're all coming to Pharaoh going, how much longer do we have to get wiped out before you're going to let them go? How much longer until you're going to do something about so you? It's not even that you just have Pharaoh, you know, and everybody's, oh, it's going to be fine. You have even... People who surrounded Pharaoh, who have access to Pharaoh, say, 
you got to let the people go. And yet the text says, still, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Why is that the case? What is the issue with that? Even as, as Pharaoh is, is being told by the people, clamoring for them to just let the people go, as they're being wrecked by each plague, why will Pharaoh not relent? Why does Pharaoh keep refusing? I mean, is that not the perhaps the most startling part of reading the, the story of the plagues and reading about plague after plague is that at some point you just think, well, you're going to finally let up and get, let him go, right? Why does he not relent? I think chapter 10 and verse 3 gives us perhaps the best answer to what is going on here uh, that helps us understand the hardness of heart issue. Chapter 10 and verse 3. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. What does it mean for Pharaoh's heart to be hard? It meant that he refused to humble himself. That's the issue. And really, this is the effect of what sin and rebellion is all about. This is what it is. The effect of sin is the hardening of heart. Is the refusal to humble ourselves before God, the refusal to submit to God. Consider what has led up to all of this. Did the pharaohs care that the people of Israel were living in the land of Goshen, worshiping their God? No. There's no problem with that. You guys worship your gods. We worship our Egyptian gods. No problem at all. When did it become a problem? When Moses came in and said, the God of heaven and earth and the God of Israel tells you to let these people go worship in the wilderness for three days. Now it's a problem. Because you have God telling me to do something. And we like having gods that don't tell us what to do. We want to do what we want to do and suppose that God is okay with all of that. That's the issue that's at stake here is that hardness of heart is the problem of that God tells us what to do and we don't want to do it. We don't want to yield. We don't want to submit. We don't want to do what God says. And so we're going to do what we want to do. In fact, it is pretty fascinating how Pharaoh tries to go about all of this. Because Pharaoh has now said, well, who is the Lord that I should have to obey him? And now God is showing him, here's who I am that you need to obey. And Pharaoh from time to time tries to obey, quote unquote, on his own terms. Notice it with me. Look at chapter 8, verse 25. Remember that what God had said through Moses was to let all of the people go into the wilderness to worship for three days out there. At Exodus 8, verse 25, Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. Okay, okay, you can do what you can do it now. You can do. I, I relent. I submit. You go ahead and worship God, but just do it here. That's not what God said to do. God had said, "You let us leave the land and go out into the wilderness, and we will worship out there for three days." And so, what does Pharaoh try to do? Well, we'll try to obey three quarters of that. Okay, you go ahead, and all of you can worship your God. But you're not leaving. You're going to stay right here. 
He tries it again in chapter 10 and verse 8. Pharaoh tells them in chapter 10 and verse 8, Okay, okay, you can go into the wilderness and worship, but not all of you. Only some of you. And Moses goes, no, that's not what God said. God didn't say only some of us can go to the wilderness. God said all of us. Then then we have Pharaoh doing it again in chapter 10 and verse 24. Pharaoh says, okay, go and worship, but leave all the animals behind. And Moses goes, no, (laughs) that's not what God said. This is what a hard heart looks like. Trying to do what you want to do, while at the same time acknowledging I'm kind of doing what God says. And that's not submission to God. That's not what God has called us to. And so often that's our attempt in trying to worship God and serve God is we will live our lives and do what we want to do and we will obey on our terms and we will follow God how we want to do. But if God tells us to do something that we don't like, it's inconvenient or we're not agreeable to, then we'll just kind of adjust the terms of the command some and we'll do what we want to do. And that's what Pharaoh tries to do. Okay, go and worship, but let's just kind of change this up a little bit. And this is the essence of a hard heart. A hard heart says that I'm not going to listen to God. I'm not going to do what he says. I will do what I think is best. And I will obey, quote unquote, on my terms. On my terms. Which is not obedience. And that's not worship. And that's not serving God. And that is, I think, the picture that is being given here about what the problem is with Pharaoh. Is he doesn't like that someone tells him what to do. It ultimately boils down to that. Who is this God that he would tell me what to do? And yet, friends, that is the essence of human rebellion. Is how dare you tell me how to live my life? How dare you tell me I have to change my life? Who are you to tell me that I have to live my life differently or do something that I don't like? That is the essence of the question is who is this God? Do we have to obey him? Do we have to serve him? And do we have to follow him exactly or not? Because if we don't, then we are not bending the knee to God. We're bending the knee to ourselves and following our own will and following our own desires. It's often asked in this text, so how does God harden Pharaoh's heart? We understand how Pharaoh hardens his own heart, his own rebellion, his own willingness to choose not to yield to God. He refuses to humble his heart, as Exodus 10 verse 3 says. But how is God doing that? But I think the narrative is fairly clear in that is because what you have is ultimately the grace of God coming to Pharaoh again and again and giving Pharaoh another chance to humble himself and submit. Moses comes right in and says, let us go worship in the wilderness. Pharaoh goes, nah. All right, throw a staff down. (laughs) Use all these things. Then we see the... Pharaoh's magicians do the same. All right. Plague one. Another opportunity, Pharaoh. Are you going to submit now? 
Plague two. Pharaoh, are you going to submit now? Nope. Plague three. Plague four. God is hardening Pharaoh's heart because he keeps coming to him and saying, all right, submit now. All right, are you going to yield now? Will you yield now? I'm going to give you another chance and another chance. It's fairly amazing how many chances Pharaoh gets here. <laughs> again and again, God, all right, we'll do another one. I'll do another one. I mean, even Moses is incredulous when you read it sometimes. Like, what are you doing? Won't you just do this already? How long, much longer does this have to go on? Even the Egyptians, how much longer is this going to go on? Everybody recognizes what is happening, and yet the hardness of heart continues. I think what's interesting is watch what Pharaoh even attempts to do in chapter 9 and verse 27. Look at this. Here we are in plague 7. Plague seven has fallen upon them. The hail has wiped out everything that was outside. And chapter 9, verse 27, listen to this. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. And I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Now when you read that, does that not look like great capitulation finally? You do all right. You know, this this is over after plague seven. Here is Pharaoh going, okay, okay. This time I've sinned. I mean, he says the words, I've sinned. He says, the Lord is in the right. I and my people are in the wrong. Isn't he going to just blame the people? Me? I'm wrong. I've been wrong. My people are in the wrong as well. You notice he asked for a pleading to the Lord. Verse 28, plead to the Lord. There's been enough of the thunder and the hail. I will let you go. I'll do it. Okay, okay. Watch what Moses says to this in verse 29. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord and thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Notice that purpose again. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Who would read Pharaoh's words and go, all right, we got a confession out of him. Everything's good, right? I have sinned. We're in the wrong. We're going to let him go. And Moses goes, you know what? All right, the hail's going to stop, and I'm going to plead to the Lord for the hail to stop and the thundering to quit. But you know what? I know you don't fear the Lord. He said, now Moses... Easy, right? He's saying all the right words. But Moses knows he hasn't humbled himself. It's not about saying certain words. And that's one of the things that Moses understands. It's a message that's throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. 
We studied that just a few weeks ago when we were in 2 Corinthians 7. We saw what true repentance was. There's a godly grief that leads to repentance and there's a worldly grief that leads to destruction. We see that all the way back here in the book of Exodus. Here is Pharaoh saying all the right words. I've sinned. We're wrong. I'm going to let him go. Please make it stop. Plead to the Lord. I'm going to relent finally. I'm going to yield. And Moses goes, no, you're not. Because I know you haven't humbled yourself. I know you don't fear the Lord. How did he know that? I said, that's pretty ruthless, right? How did he know that? Because fearing the Lord has fruit. It's obvious. It's not just simply saying, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I did something wrong. My apologies. Anything like that. Fearing the Lord means full submission and the destruction of a hard heart that tries to obey God on our own terms. That's what John the Baptizer is yelling at those people about when he, they're coming to him. And you say, oh, here they come, you know, for, for John's baptism. And we'd read that and go, hey, yay, they're all coming. And John goes, no, brood of vipers. <laughs> Get out of here. It's just your externals aren't going to work. You're just saying the right words or looking like it isn't going to be what God wants. God wants full submission. God wants a fully devoted heart. He wants the destruction of our hard hearts. Fearing the Lord means that we humble ourselves completely before God. And this is the hard part. And to not rebel against a single word that comes from God. That's, that's the big deal. That's ultimately what it means to fear the Lord. And what true repentance looks like is it shows a radical life change. The destruction of the hard heart. The willingness to do whatever God says. To completely follow Him and to humble our thinking. To humble our ways. And to humble ourselves before Him. So that we do not try to obey God on our terms. But on God's terms. What's interesting about this concept of the hard heart and why God revealed himself in this way is all pictured for us in the New Testament. I want to bring us to a close this evening by looking at Hebrews chapter 3 and in verse 12. Hebrews 3 verse 12. Here the writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Notice the hardening of heart is set in contrast to hearing the voice of the Lord. When we hear the voice of the Lord, we submit to it, we bend the knee to it, we humble ourselves before Him, and we do all that He says. Otherwise, what we've done is we've hardened our hearts, which is what happened there in the wilderness, as the writer of Hebrews says. And he gives the warning to us and says, do not harden your hearts. Do not fall into the same trap. And we harden our hearts when we refuse to humble ourselves before God. We, we harden our hearts when we try to obey God on our terms. 
We harden our hearts and we try to say, I've sinned, but we do not show radical life change that turns our lives against sin. We harden our hearts and we follow our own desires rather than the revealed Word of God. What's so difficult and what is so challenging is just as what you see in the plagues happens to us today. By the grace of God, Every day that comes before us, we have an opportunity to fully fear God, bend the knee, humble ourselves, and serve Him completely. And every day we choose not to, the heart becomes hardened. And another day that we choose not to fully submit to God, the heart becomes hardened. Have you ever noticed that about sin? What sin was made you cringe before and you were guilty about and decided to fight against as you became more entrapped by the sin? You no longer cared. It was no longer a big deal. Your conscience becomes seared. You begin to think, well, it's okay that I commit these sins while I serve God at the same time. This is exactly the problem. This is exactly the issue. How easy it is for us to do the same thing is that God is hardening our hearts because every day He gives you a chance. Will you bend the knee today? And every day that we say no, our heart becomes hardened. We continue to think that we can serve God on our terms, serve Him how we want to serve Him, living our lives how we want to live, thinking that we're completely okay with God. And we're not. May we hear the warning that the writer of Hebrews gives that every time that we refuse to humble ourselves, our hearts are moving further from God. And thus he warns us here, take care, my brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. You think when the writer of Hebrews wrote that to Christians, that there was he thought, you know, here's this, you know, real jerk that, you know, I hate God and I don't don't want to follow him. Okay, I'm writing to you, you evil, unbelieving heart. No. He's writing to people who claim to be Christians. And he's warning them and saying, some of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart. And I'm warning you to not harden your hearts like they did and they fell. That we would not do the same. So today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But turn to the living God before it's too late. We're going to sing a song now. And in that song, we're inviting you To really consider your heart. To consider that God has revealed Himself through mighty works. Not only through the amazing plagues. Ten amazing plagues. We see His mighty works in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these works were intended so that it would impress upon our hearts that we would recognize that there is a reason why we serve Him. The question to be answered of... The question is asked that we answer... Who is the Lord that we should serve Him? He is the Almighty God. He is ruler over heaven and earth. He is the one who has made us and has created us. And He has every right to demand our submission to Him in full obedience to everything that He's asked. And that is our response to Him, that we would turn to Him then and respond in faith and respond in love and respond in obedience. If you're ready to do that tonight, we hope you'll take advantage of the opportunity to turn to God this very evening. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?